This is Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm a healthy lifestyle coach, a clinical Ayurveda specialist, a personal trainer, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. In this podcast, we talk about healthy thinking and mindfulness practices, eating well, moving your body for health and longevity, and we'll also hear from other breast cancer survivors who have re-engaged with life and have incredible stories to share. This podcast is your go-to resource for getting back to life after breast cancer. Welcome to episode 11 of the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. How am I supposed to know what to eat? This is a great topic because, man, nutrition, diets, labels, this stuff can be crazy confusing. And I hope that by the time we get to the end of this episode, it will be less overwhelming, easier for you to understand, and that going forward, you'll have a nice foundation of how to approach nutrition so that you don't feel like you're bouncing from this to that and back to this and wondering if what you're eating is right or healthy or good or whatever. So before we get into that, I have to start off this podcast with a super special shout out to Dono. Now, Dono, that's your username on iTunes, and you left me my very first podcast review. Woo! Thank you so much for doing that. Dono left a five-star review for the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach, and I'm so seriously grateful for that. It's so cool for me because I know I ask on every episode and I talk about, you know, how getting reviews and getting subscribers moves this podcast up in ratings. And it really does. So when you guys hear this podcast, I know, you know, unless you've done podcasting yourself, you don't really know the work and the time and the planning that goes on behind getting a podcast out there. So when, and I'm not complaining by any means because I love it and it's so much fun. Part of my passion is just to reach as many breast cancer survivors as possible and give you all this great information to improve your health, to give you choices and options and knowledge so that you feel comfortable, safe, happy, and you feel good. So thank you, Dono, for that awesome review. I super appreciate it. And if anyone else out there is listening to this podcast, if you're a regular listener and you feel like you get something positive, please take a moment, go to the iTunes store, leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, or if this is the first time that you're listening to it and you think it's kind of cool and you enjoy it, please take the time to give a positive review, subscribe to it, and help this podcast move up and reach more breast cancer survivors. All right. That being said, I'm going to talk with you today about an experience that I do every year for the past, this is the fifth year now. I love it and I get so much out of it. It happened about two weeks ago. I attended the IDEA World Fitness Conference in Las Vegas. So IDEA is a organization that is the kind of the association for personal trainers and fitness professionals. And this association provides insurance and education and all of that type of thing, a platform for personal trainers and fitness professionals to engage with each other and reach out also to the public. They put on this convention every year, this conference, I'm sorry, it's the conference, it's the World Fitness Conference, and people literally come from all over the world. There are hundreds of amazing workshops, 
top-notch presenters. And the toughest thing about this conference is just choosing what you're going to go to because in one time slot, you may have over a dozen selections that make it really, really tough. So I try to balance out what I'm taking between uh, some workouts to get new and creative and fun ideas and nutrition and business practices and definitely behavior change. So for this year and last year, so for two years now, IDEA has put on during this conference a nutrition and behavior change summit. It's a two-day part of the summit and it showcases some of the top scientists, doctors, dietitians, just great information on nutrition, nutrition trends, trends in science, trends in behavior change. And I have attended both years. It's been amazing. And what I really love about this is that IDEA doesn't just talk about food, right? So at this conference, it's not like, here's the nutrition summit. It's the nutrition and behavior change summit. And that's important because If you just talk about nutrition alone, then you're just talking about food. You're talking about food. You're talking about the qualities of food, what you like, what you don't like, how to fix it, how to eat it. But food on its own is just food. When you combine it with behavior change and you look at what people are eating and how it's affecting them, then you have a nutrition program. And behavior change is a huge component of this because as many of you listening to this know, there are what's proclaimed to be the right way to eat, the healthiest foods. And if we sit back and you look at the average person's diet and what it consists of, it may or may not be solely comprised of these really healthy foods. And why is that? Why if we know... Uh, let's pick the, the popular vegetable of the day, kale. Why if we know that kale is supposed to have all of these amazing benefits for the microbiota in our gut, for our health overall, we juice it, we fry it, we eat kale in a hundred different ways, put it in your smoothies. Why do so many people choose not to eat it? Well, it's a behavior. We have certain behaviors and certain habits. We're used to eating certain ways. We're used to eating certain foods. We have maybe busy lifestyles and we have to fit food into that lifestyle. And so just because we know or we hear about things that are healthy for us doesn't mean that we cultivate those behaviors to be able to incorporate that food into our lives or that way of eating into our lives. So we're going to touch on that today because it's super important. I can remember not that long ago, nutrition consisted of eating breakfast, grabbing your sack lunch as you ran out the door, and sitting down with the family at dinner. That's how it was when I was growing up. That's how it was for many years when I was raising my children. And when I was a kid, if my mom caught us grabbing a snack or something too close to dinner, you got a smack and you were told, you're going to ruin your dinner and waste your food, put that away. Snacking wasn't a big thing. It wasn't about grazing all day long, eating all day long. It was about making sure you got in your three square meals and not wasting your food. And that was nutrition in a nutshell at my house growing up. But now, not that many years later... Nutrition is a dynamic, scientific, controversial, and confusing topic. Sometimes I feel like the more we learn about nutrition, the more confusing it becomes to know what to eat. Let me give you an example. At the Nutrition Summit, there was a presenter. His name is Dr. Michael Greger, and I hope I'm saying that properly. It's G-R-E-G-R. He's the author of a book, How Not to Die. 
and he's also the founder of nutritionfacts.org. He's a talented, experienced, knowledgeable physician, and he gave a fabulous presentation on plant-based eating. And during this presentation, he was funny, he was engaging, and he bashed any diet that incorporated animal products. And he did it in a very convincing way, backing it up with quotes and excerpts from scientific studies. I love plant-based foods. I'm an advocate of everyone eating more vegetables. But as I was listening to him, I wasn't thinking, "Mm, no, you're wrong. A plant-based diet isn't healthy. Not at all. But as I listened, I thought, well, hold on. The statistics that you are presenting out of these different studies are outcomes that are very similar, if not the same, as studies that I have read and outcomes from those studies on a ketogenic diet, which does include ample amounts of animal products. And the studies and the outcomes of the studies you're talking about in reference to their impact on cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, are the same as what I read with the ketogenic diet that includes meat. So how am I supposed to make sense of this? Is one right? Is one wrong? Is science no different than statistics? And you can pick and choose studies and results to back up whatever argument you might have and make them work for you. What if, like me, like many of you listening, you're a cancer survivor? And you think that your life depends on eating the quote-unquote right way in order to prevent a recurrence of cancer. Well, I have to tell you that it really, this really affected me. I gave it a lot of thought, and I spend time brushing up on research that I've presented in previous podcasts, information that I've put out to the public, just to reassure myself that the information I was talking about is credible and that it has good solid science to back it up. And it did as I knew before I ever said it, but I just wanted to compare some of the studies that Dr. Greger was talking about with some of the studies that I've looked at. And again, one was not wrong. One was not better than the other. But I think that the decision that I came to was just like when it comes to religion and people say there's more than one path to God, when it comes to nutrition, I think there's more than one path to health and to healthy eating. Maybe your path is plant-based, but maybe for your friend, they feel unsatisfied eating a plant-based diet. They're hungry all the time. They have trouble focusing during the busiest parts of their day because they feel like they missed out or they're not satiated because there weren't meat or eggs or something like that in their salad at lunchtime or maybe even in their breakfast. When I was listening to Dr. Greger, he talked about a story of when he was a young boy, his grandma was very ill, and that literally on her deathbed, she came across Dean Ornish and this information on eating a plant-based diet. She changed her way of eating, and she had a complete recovery and lived for another, I, I believe he said 30, 31 years, and was able to enjoy family weddings and huge celebrations, and this was part of the reason or a big motivation behind him becoming a physician. And so there's a real emotional connection that this physician has to eating a plant-based diet. And it completely makes sense. Nothing wrong with that. Let's go back to looking at the difference between maybe how I feel on a ketogenic diet, how someone else may respond to a plant-based diet, or how you can mix a largely plant-based diet with a ketogenic philosophy as well, or many others. There's not just two different ways of eating. There's all kinds of ways of eating. 
But we also have to consider individual genetics, family history, age as it relates to carbohydrate tolerance or intolerance. And I can tell you that for most of my life, I could eat whatever I wanted and I could stay lean, energetic, I felt good. And then I went through chemotherapy and the wheels came off, right? Metabolically, everything went crazy. Genetically, everything just changed in my body. The way I respond to food, exercise, and many other things changed. And as I've said in previous episodes, I had to work diligently for years to get my blood sugar under control, to get my cholesterol under control. I had to work very hard at diet and exercise. And in that process, I realized that if I eat certain carbohydrates or if I eat over a certain amount of carbohydrates, I feel bloated and very fatigued and I gain weight very easily. So I was in another workshop and this workshop during the conference was on uh, diabetic clients and the presenter was a dietitian and a certified diabetes educator and she was talking about signs to look for in diabetic clients during exercise so that you could be sure as a trainer that they're safe. Uh, she was talking about questions that you could ask of your clients to see what they had eaten during the day before they began exercise and one of the statements that she made I found very curious because she said that Everyone, not just diabetics, everyone needs a minimum of 120 grams of carbohydrates a day in their diet just for their brain to function normally. I sat there in the audience and I thought, hmm, that's interesting because I'm sitting here. I feel as though I am functioning normally. My brain definitely is working correctly. And I make it a practice to eat fewer than 40 grams of carbohydrates in a day. And I've done that for months now. So I have to differ and disagree with that statement. So I hope you kind of see what I'm getting at here. There's a lot of great and fascinating science out there. And there are a lot of smart people who are very specialized in certain fields. But none of those people are you. And you have to decide what makes you feel good. And what works for you and your lifestyle when it comes to eating. That doesn't mean that any one approach is wrong. It just means that maybe some things are for you and maybe others are not. And just because a very well-educated and dynamic speaker says this is the way to eat and if you eat something else while well, you're just asking to have cancer, maybe, but maybe not. So I would encourage you to try many different ways of eating. Give something a week and then ask yourself, how is this working for me? Check in with yourself and see, do you have enough energy to get through your day? Do you need a nap at two o'clock in the afternoon? Do you sleep deeply and soundly at night? Do you feel satisfied or are you hungry and looking for more food constantly throughout the day? I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Can I have a nuts? You know, what? I'm hungry. <laughs> do you feel bloated, gurgly in your gut and uncomfortable? Or is your elimination easy and regular? Are you able to maintain a healthy weight for your height and your age? If all of these things are working for you, then boom, you found it. You found what your body likes, so stick with that. But if the way that you're eating isn't working so great for you in some of those areas, then you can tweak things around a little bit. 
Because even if you decide that you're going to eat a specific kind of a label for a diet, you're going to eat paleo, you're going to eat vegan, you're going to be eating ketogenic, there are lots of variations within diet plans that you can still change around. So for example, my husband and I currently follow a ketogenic way of eating, but I love veggies and he loves his meat. So my way of eating has a lot more salads, vegetarian dishes, because I feel heavy and funky if I eat too much meat. But if I left him on his own, he would never put a floret of broccoli on his plate. He he would sit down to a hamburger covered in hollandaise sauce and be completely happy with that. But you know what? That works for him. Maybe it was the way he was raised. Maybe it was because of his genetic predispositions. And we're going to talk about that and the way that your family has eaten before, the way your mom ate when she was pregnant with you. We're going to touch on that a little bit and how it affects the way you feel now and how it affects food choices you make and even how your children are affected by your food choices. So once you find a way of eating that works for you, Be aware that that too may change. It may change with the season. So let's say that you decide that a plant-based way of eating is very satisfying for you during the summertime. But when it comes to wintertime, you just don't feel grounded enough. You don't feel satisfied. You want something heavier. You want something warmer and more comforting. And that's supernatural. I don't mean supernatural, but I mean, that's very natural. So in Ayurveda, eating with the seasons is just the way that people are meant to eat. Think about it. Back when we were farming, eating off the land, and we didn't have all kinds of mega food manufacturers, one, people weren't obese because it's really hard to grow food enough to satisfy everybody and to feed everybody without all kinds of chemical fertilizers and other wonderful technologically advanced things. But when you're farming, when you're eating from the land, certain vegetables are seasonal. I wonder if my children would even understand that at this point. With Well, of course they would because I talked to them about it. But if I hadn't talked to them about it, would kids really even understand that strawberries are only supposed to be around for a little while during the summer? That sweet potatoes or something or yams or something that we eat at Thanksgiving and Christmas because that was the season where they grew. Now we can get almost anything, almost any time of the year at any grocery store. So we lose that idea and we forget about eating with the seasons. But the cycle of the earth and the cycle of our bodies are very connected. And so it just makes sense. So think about that, that even if you say, okay, this way of eating is really working for me now, and then the temperature outside changes, or maybe you're not feeling well, maybe you've been sick lately and your body is craving something else. And it's important that you don't get stuck to that label because this the nutrition industry is just fraught with this labeling. You don't have to label yourself and feel like you're stuck with a certain way of eating because now, oh, holy cow, I've told everybody I'm a vegan. and What will they say if they see me eating a hamburger? So, gosh, I really would love to see us move away from this labeling. Food is about fueling your body, not about designating yourself and defining your character as this kind of a way of eating. This, I'm a paleo person. You know, you get to decide what your body likes and it's important that you're connected to it so that when you think about dietary labels, maybe you just think about them a little more as a tool, as a a way of 
communicating some clarity. So let's say that I'm working with a client and they say to me, oh, I follow a ketogenic way of eating. Okay, that helps me understand what some of their food preferences currently are and how they mix their protein, carbohydrates, and fats currently in the diet. But by no means are they stuck to that way of eating and by no means would I ever tell somebody that they have to eat a certain way and any other way they eat is bad. So if I say I'm eating in a ketogenic fashion right now, does that mean that I think grains are bad or people who eat grains are bad? No, of course not. In fact, one of my favorite treats, this may sound a little weird, but one of my favorite treats is a piece of toast. I love toast. I really do. And I just, I love the way it smells when it's being toasted. I'd like to cook it just to the point of almost being burned, but not burned. So it's just super crunchy and kind of dark. And then I slather it with vanilla bean ghee. And if you've never eaten vanilla bean ghee, uh, I will put the link to it in the podcast page for this episode because you are missing out. Vanilla bean ghee is delicious. And then I top that off with just a really high quality all natural raspberry preserve. That is an awesome treat. And when I make it for myself, I take every bite slowly and indulgently and I love it and I never feel guilty about it. I don't care that that's probably 35 grams of carbohydrate right there on my piece of toast because life is short. And I don't think of it as a cheat. I don't say, oh, I cheated today. I had a piece of toast. I don't say, oh, I was bad this morning. I had a piece of toast. I just had a flipping piece of toast. That's it. We are just so crazy with this eating, not eating, what to eat, good, bad. Man, just stop it already. I do not care. I had a piece of toast. It was part of what I ate today. It's not a big issue and it shouldn't be an issue for you or for anybody else. So let's just take it easy on ourselves. It just breaks my heart when I'm talking with somebody who's really struggling with weight, really struggling. And maybe it's important because this weight is having an impact on their blood sugar and on their overall health, their ability just to move and to exercise. And then They'll say, you know, well, I've been eating really bad for the last two weeks because I went to, you know, my my uh, sister's wedding and I had a piece of cake. So then forget it. I just went to McDonald's for the rest of the week. What the heck? It's one piece of cake. It's a beautiful celebration of life. You have a piece of cake along with the rest of your healthy diet. Please stop beating yourself up for that. Please don't say I was bad. Please don't say I cheated. You didn't cheat. It's an all in diet. It's all encompassing. It includes everything. And so don't fall off the wagon and think, gosh, I had a piece of toast. I had a piece of wedding cake. And now, boy, I just, I'm going to go ahead and just keep eating crap for the rest of the week. Okay? Enjoy it. Move on and continue with your normal, healthy, balanced way of eating. A way that helps you feel good, energetic, sleep well, and not have upset stomach and gas and all that other kinds of grossness that we don't want to have. Okay, so I want to share a little bit of a story, kind of an analogy here. I have a really dear friend who does a lot of humanitarian work. She's just an awesome, awesome human being. And one summer, my youngest son went to Uganda with her. And they went to bring some much-needed supplies and help out at a school at an orphanage that is in the middle of a slum there in Uganda. 
When my son came home, he was telling me about this experience and he was really excited because the organization that they went with, which by the way is called Wando, W-A-N-D-O, Wando International, this organization went into this slum, they built this school, they built this orphanage, but they're teaching the community around there how to grow, roast, and sell coffee, coffee beans. So it's super cool. And let me tell you why. It's because these people are refugees. And before they were driven into this encampment, which has been a couple of generations ago now, they were farmers. But they've been isolated in this slum for so long without those people who initially originally were the farmers and who had the skills how to farm that they no longer know or have the tools or the ability to farm themselves. So this organization is coming in and they're trying to bring back that knowledge that was lost because the environment changed so dramatically for these people that the knowledge went out the window. So that's kind of how I see the way we eat in the United States. There was this time that's just a couple of generations ago when, you know, your mom and your grandma or your dad, they taught you how to cook and they enjoyed cooking for the family. Kids got up in time to eat breakfast before they went to school. They grabbed their sack lunch, as I did, and they came home and they were told not to eat anything before you sat down to dinner. Eating was not a big mystery. It was just something you did three times a day and that was it. But our environment has changed so much in such a short time that not only with respect to how we live as families, but also with respect to the availability of food and to the type of foods that are accessible to us. And I feel like the environment has changed so much. And mind you, I'm not saying that's good or that's bad. It just is. It's just changed that we've forgotten how to eat. And then we just have all this information, which is cool information, but how do you sort through it? So... I know even when I came home after school, if I had had a practice, because I was on swim team and softball team and all this other stuff, and I was really, really hungry, my mom would sometimes let me have a snack. But if I had it, she would say, sit down at the table when you're eating that. So there was no standing. There was no walking around the house with food. There was no eating in the car. Fast food didn't exist. It didn't exist in the house and it didn't exist outside the house. So why is that even important? Well, because we were doing something really important there when mom said, sit down at the table when you're eating that. We were being forced to eat mindfully without even realizing it. So why is that important? Who cares how we eat? Who cares what we eat? As long as we're lucky enough that we don't have to deal with starving, starvation, who cares? So the obvious response to that is, you know, the epidemic, of course, of overeating, addictive food behaviors, and the correlation with those behaviors in obesity, type 2 diabetes, cancer, heart disease, on and on and on, right? But more importantly, there's a point that was made by Dr. Pamela Peak, who's just awesome, at the Idea World Nutrition and Behavior Change Summit. So Dr. Peek is the assistant professor of medicine at the University of Maryland, and she's also a fellow, a fellow at the American College of Physicians, and she's got a, a much longer resume than that. I highly suggest that you look her up and look up her TED Talks because she talks about this subject and, and many other things having to do with the way that we eat, and she's just a really cool lady, really smart. In her presentation, though, at this summit, she talked about the incredible science of epigenetics. 
So essentially, epigenetics is that everything you do, whatever you eat, how you move, what you think, everything that you do has an effect on your DNA. And not only can it change your health or influence your health for better or for worse, but independent of, regardless of your genetic predisposition. So if I say to you, gosh, yeah, my dad was a diabetic, his dad was a diabetic, my mom was a diabetic, we have heart disease on both sides of the family. The science of epigenetics shows us that if somebody in that chain starts to change their health behaviors, they start to express their genes differently. So what you eat today not only affects your health, but it could affect the health of your children and their children and their children after that. I mean, that's cool. That's crazy, right? It's crazy. We don't even realize how much of an impact that nutrition and exercise has on our health and the health of our loved ones. And it's not just from setting a good example, but it's from the imprint we put on them, onto their DNA, into their genetics when we're pregnant with them. So again, I highly recommend listening to Dr. Peek because she's really brilliant and the science of epigenetics is just fascinating. And you can find all of her TED Talks on YouTube and on, I'm sure, TED.com on the TED Talk channel. But it's important that as we look at a new generation who of children who for the first time are not expected to outlive their parents because of the early onset of lifestyle diseases that we pay some serious attention to this concept of the way that we eat and how food impacts our health and impacts the health of our loved ones. And as cancer survivors who may or may not have a predisposition for cancer or for other diseases and comorbidities, things that partner with cancer or may be expressed because of having gone through cancer treatment, this is great news for us because we know now that if we make better choices, that we can change the way our genes work. And that means we can lengthen our life and we can improve the quality of our life. And I want to just make sure that I interject with this here because I'm going to go back to what Dr. Greger was saying about the plant-based diet and how he was looking at, you know, here's your odds of cancer if you follow a plant-based diet. And then if you throw meat in here, you can expect this, that, or the other thing. Well, I think it's important that we state that not only is this conflicting science so confusing, but that nothing is a magic bullet. And I can say that very confidently because, as I've said again in other episodes, I was a vegetarian for over a decade before I was diagnosed with cancer. I made a point my entire life of being active, of exercising. I was very conscientious of nutrition because I did know that I had issues in my family of people having struggles with obesity and heart disease. It's important to understand that just because you do, quote unquote, all the right things, doesn't mean that that's a cure-all. It doesn't mean that that's a magic bullet for everything. And that was something that I really struggled with after getting cancer is how do I go forward as a health professional and encourage people to exercise, eat whole foods, uh, make healthy choices with nutrition. And when they could turn to me at any time and say, well, you did that and um, you still got cancer. So why shouldn't I just eat my um, I think they're called hot fire Cheetos that I see people eating around, <laughs> you know, why shouldn't I just eat my Cheetos? And it's a good question. 
it's a question that I struggled with. Why not? Why shouldn't I? Why should I sweat and work my butt off and do all spend all this time cooking? And, you know, for a while, I didn't engage with people and I didn't practice Ayurveda or um, training or anything like that because I was really conflicted with this idea of how do I approach this and how do I present myself as a health professional and a cancer patient at the same time, you know, didn't make sense to me. But then I really resolved and came to the point of saying, well, you know what, we're not putting exercise and nutrition out there as a guarantee. It's not if you do this, you're guaranteed to never get sick, never have a heart attack, never have cancer. No, it's improving our odds. It's improving our risk. And where I made peace with that decision was by saying to myself, you know, I did have a very aggressive form of cancer. It was spreading very rapidly. And had I not been as healthy as I was, maybe I wouldn't have survived that cancer. I don't know. I'll never know. Thank God, because I did survive and it's past me. But I just want to put that out there because I think it's important. And I think that, you know, looking at things as these magic bullets kind of leads to the confusion of what should I eat and what shouldn't I eat, you know? So I think we're just a little too hard on ourselves when it comes to that. And that we can also be a little too militant when it comes to certain ways of eating, right? So, uh, you know, there may be times where I go to have a piece of toast and one of my kids will walk in and they'll be like, I thought you can't eat carbohydrates, mom. I can't. Who says what I can and can't do? I say. And I say, well, I choose to not eat carbohydrates frequently, but today I would like to have a piece of toast with my coffee. And that's perfectly fine. This, my friends, is the key to working your way through the confusion of diets, of labels, of nutrition philosophies. It's knowing what works for you. And, you know, we talked a little bit about at the beginning of this, and I said, you know, food is just food on its own, right? All the food that's out there, you walk through the grocery store, it's just food. And so you put it on your plate and you start taking it into your body and then it becomes nutrition. So... How do we begin to change behaviors that we have around food so that we have healthy nutrition in our life? Well, that is a complicated question, and there are tons and tons of behaviors that can be supported, changed, tweaked, worked on when it comes to how to create a healthy nutrition plan for yourself. But I'm going to give you a tip now, and this is a tip I've talked about before on another episode. It's something that I've talked with many people about because it's so simple and yet it's so important. It's not easy because simple and easy are two different things, but it can have a profound impact on the choices that you make because when you incorporate this practice into your life, you begin to notice how food is affecting your body. And that's the key here, right? That takes us back to how old are you? What season is it? How are you feeling? Are you tired? Are you overworked? Are you stressed? Do you have a lot of emotional things going on? What nutrition, what does your body need to nourish it today? And that may be different every day. What does your body need to stay at a healthy weight and just to feel good? That may always be different. And the only way that you can know that is if you tune into how food makes your body feel. Your body can react so differently to food that literally, let's say that I ate toast in the morning. 
maybe that makes me feel good and happy and it was delicious and the fragrance of it and the way it tasted with my coffee in the morning. And that really gave me enough to get through the day to lunch. But maybe if I ate a piece of toast at night, I'm going to get bloated and I'm not going to feel good because I ate the carbohydrates too late and they just sit in my stomach. So the way that you eat and the time that you eat can also affect you. You see what I'm getting at here? So it's not like, oh no, how do I know what time to eat? This is how you know, because you start a practice of mindful eating. Pick one meal a day, because it's really tough to just start this on every single meal. Pick one meal a day and commit to yourself that when you eat this meal, you're just going to sit down and you're going to do nothing but eat. You're not going to be looking through your cell phone. You're not going to be having the TV on. You're not going to have music on. You're just going to sit with your food and you're going to eat it mindfully. Kind of goes back to what my mom said, right? When you sit, when you eat, sit down at the table and eat. Don't walk around. I think she was worried I was going to spill something on the floor, but really she was causing me to eat mindfully. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to sit Don't eat it over the sink. Don't eat it over the counter. Don't eat it in the car. One meal a day, whether it's lunch or breakfast or dinner, just sit, just eat, do nothing else. And when you do that, you're going to notice how the food feels in your mouth. You're going to notice how it feels in your gut. You're going to see how it affects your level of energy for the next few hours. You're going to see if that food affects you differently if you eat it earlier in the day as compared to later in the day. And then you're going to start to develop your nutrition plan. And you can label it if you want to. And you can just tell people when they say, well, how, what do you eat? I mean, it's like, what's your pronoun, right? So what's your, <laughs> what's your nutrition genre these days? And you can say, I just eat what makes me feel good. And that's really all that matters. So I would love to put this challenge out there for every one of you to try mindful eating for the next week. Pick one meal of the day, sit down, do nothing but eat when you eat that meal, and go to my Facebook page and post your comments on this challenge. Post your challenges, post your feedback. Let me know how that worked for you and how it didn't work for you. Because as simple as that sounds, sometimes it can be really challenging, which is kind of crazy, right? Think about it. I don't have time in a day to sit for one meal and do nothing but eat. Really? I mean, is that how crazy life has become? And if so, maybe that's a behavior change that needs to be addressed as well, right? Well, I look forward to hearing your comments. And if you don't already follow me on Facebook, you can find me just by my name, Laura Lummer, on Facebook and on Twitter, or you can find me as the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach on Instagram. I would love to have you become a part of our thriving survivor community. So go to my website, lauralummer.com, where you can give me your email address. You can get in on all the good emails and all the information that goes out through the email list. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Be sure to go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. And Dono, thank you again for that review. And if you're going to go and leave me a review, look forward to hearing your name on my podcast as well. All right. I appreciate your time. And until next time, let your lifestyle be your medicine. Your heart is full and wanting more. Your future's at the door. Give it all you got. No hesitating. You've been waiting.
This is your moment.